Hi y'all, this is Corporal Decoy, with an important message for you from G.I. Joe Headquarters. The top brass at G.I. Joe Headquarters assigned me a special task. Instead of taking fire and running decoy missions like I usually have, they've assigned me the task of redesigning the uniforms. My first task was to redesign the Eco Warriors uniform. Instead of going with your average camouflage that would help keep you hidden, we decided to offer a more unique approach with neon yellows, neon greens, and neon blues. We felt that this made G.I. Joe a more standout military force. My next assignment is going to be the new ninja outfits. We asked Snake Eyes on his opinion on my choice of neon pink, neon green, and neon yellow, but still have not received any word on it. On to you guys. Welcome to episode 9. This evening, or this afternoon, depending on what time it is where you're listening to us, Rob, Paul, and Steve will tackle a topic that's quite near and dear to our hearts. As video game fans and G.I. Joe fans, we've always wanted the perfect marriage of these two mediums, but have never gotten it. Tonight we throw all budgetary and other constraints out of the window, and we think hypothetically, if money was no object, if the fan base was no object, what would be the ultimate G.I. Joe game? Okay, who's going first? Well, before we get started on this, gents, anyone got any new stuff they'd like to discuss? Any new items that they picked up in the last couple of weeks? It's been a while since our last recording. I've certainly got some, some new things knocking around in my room. How about you, Paul? Okay, the last two weeks, uh, well, uh, I haven't got anything too dramatically new. Although, I did put a booking in for the new Solid Snake by Hot Toys. Decided, um, after a bit of thought, I gave it about a good three days worth of thinking. I'm going to rock one of those bad boys for myself. My Crimson God's been delayed, but I have received my Zartan, and he happens to be one of the sweetest sideshow figures ever made. Ever. Aside from that, I just found I had quite a lucky score in finding a Batmobile uh, Hot Wheels the other day, which was really cool. It's the Batmobile from the Arkham Asylum game, which was a nice deal for me. But otherwise, nothing too new on the toy front for me this, these last two weeks. Well, I didn't get anything new, but I did fill a few holes in my collection. After our vehicle discussion, our top five Cobra vehicle discussion of all time, I picked up one of Rob's favorites, the Cobra His 2, and I thoroughly enjoy it. I stand by my decision for not putting it on my top five, because I'm not an enormous fan of the His tank as a design. It's quite out there. Cobra being a rather futuristic paramilitary or terrorist organization, if you will, can always err on the side of the fantastic or the science fiction influenced. But the His Tank design just has some fatal flaws in it. But I'm overanalyzing. The toy is sweet. It's certainly the best incarnation of the His Tank design because it marries firepower with a small troop capacity it has the best playability of all the his iterations, I'll say. Having the opening troop compartment and the turrets, the missiles. I mean, we addressed this in our top five vehicle episode. But it certainly beats out the old his one and the subsequent versions, which are actually, well, they're the his one mold retreaded. Mm. All except for uh, the most recent, which you happen to own, hey, Paul? That's right, the Hiss, uh, I think it's the Hiss 5, which is very, very cool. I do dig it. Uh, it's just, it's weird. Um, it kind of poops out an emergency 
troop. <laughs> but other than that, uh, which is a cool and a weird feature, at the same time, I still think it's one of the, the big bad boys in the Hiss line. I think it really looks a lot more like an automated weapon than something that necessarily has to carry troops. I agree with you there. Yeah, it does have a bit of uh, a predator sort of feel. It does feel unmanned. It's, it just seems kind of weird to give that much ordinance to one guy. You know, one guy sits in there and he controls it. I mean, that's a lot of money to spend to build a vehicle that only one person's decisions are going to alter its you know, destiny. I mean, tanks typically have about three or four guys in them, and they each have specific roles. Their first role is to keep the tank alive. So <laughs> it's just weird that, yeah, but hey, it's cool. You can put two guys in there. I usually put a bat in its um, his butt, and then, you know, when there's an emergency, I drop the bat out. Well, it does have those real treads, the rubber moving treads, which is something that I wish the Hiss 2 had. It would make this tank great. The rubber treads are something I like as a, as a feature. I think they're very, very cool. They're great on tiles. They're great on, you know, typical veranda style setups where, you know, you've got like a brick pavement, something. They're great on that. Not so good on carpets. They tend to, Grip and not grip, and sometimes they grip, and then if you've got the the top part of the tank extended or the the turret, you end up pushing the turret down when you want to move it forward. So as a play feature, it has a few flaws, uh, and I still think the Hiss 2 has the the better treads as a play feature, but aesthetically, I prefer it. I I do like the moving treads, and it it is a bit sad to see that the treads have been given the sort of single mold with the mini wheels for the new retaliation line, especially considering that the driver also has very limited articulation. So they've taken one of the final points on that design out, in my opinion. Well, your criticism of the rubber treads on the HIS-5 is that they snag and the top portion locks down Mm. if you've got it raised. But those aren't really criticisms of the tread mechanism themselves. I would want all... G.I. Joe tanks to all sport that regardless of their design otherwise I would love them all to have rubber moving treads like just, the Mobat just like the Mobat except with the Mobat I find the motorized function kind of prohibits me from pushing it around I'd love to push the Mobat around full tilt but because it's got a motor which is now, you know, about 25, 26, 27 years old. Oh, more. 30 years old? Yeah, it's the 30th yeah, anniversary. Mm. I'm really scared of burning out the engine or the motor. I, I mean, I have no expertise on electric motors, but I can't imagine pushing it might do some internal damage. That's oh, a valid concern, especially for a toy that's that old. With you know, that in I, mind, my hmm. Mobat is beautiful. <laughs> it's another recent acquisition. This time, also out of a, a podcast episode, after discussing our original 13 picks, I decided I needed a Steeler and a Mobat in my life, so I promptly went out and ordered one. And let me tell you guys, for a slightly undersized tank, it is beautiful. It is just a set piece in a level of toy design and detail that we don't really see much of. And it's a very simple toy. It doesn't have any opening hatches. It's got one driver position. It's basically a solid piece. But there's some mystique to the original green team, and they just look so good together and interact so well. It parks so nicely in the headquarters. 
you can't ignore its appeal. And to my mind, it's still the quintessential G.I. Joe tank. Very glad that I have one. Yeah, the Mobat is very cool. I have to agree with you. Although, not being much of a tank fan, and unfortunately the one troop capacity would put me off it a little. But hey, listen, I know it's something that you've been like to- tossing and turning about, so I'm glad that you finally got one. Hey, I'm glad you got a his too. <laughs> so, so am I. His too. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the Mobat is quite fun. I like it. I like that it moves on its own. I'm glad that like the his too is cool. Yeah, it's still definitely on my top five. Outstanding. It's a good acquisition. Not quite going to oust any of my previous picks, but definitely something that I'm happy to own. I also got a Flash, 25th Anniversary Flash, which was one of the early releases in the 25th Anniversary line, one that I had skipped on because, while I always thought of sci-fi as the, the better purchase, it's certainly a more exciting figure. But, as I say... The original green team, original 13, just have this appeal that's hard to ignore. And he looks pretty sweet accompanying the Mobat or just mooching around the 1983 G.I. Joe headquarters. Um, how many of the green shirts do you have from the 25th line, Steve? Well, not many, I won't lie. I have Zap, I have Flash now, I have Stalker, Scarlet, Snake Eyes, and that's about it. But those wow. members that I really wanted... Oh, I have uh, a straight-arm Steeler, which came with the Mobat. Oh, cool. That's actually very cool. I'd love to see the straight-arm figures. I've never seen one in person. They're rather scary to handle, especially the Steeler. He was so mint that I don't think he had ever been bent at the knees. <laughs> oh, wow. So the second I get an action figure, I test all their joints to make sure that nothing is too loose or too tight. If it is too tight, I can fix that. If it's too loose, I can fix that. But I didn't even apply much pressure, and the leg just snapped it off. (laughs) Completely sheared apart. It was so unmoved for 30 years that, uh, and, and combined with its age and the fact that it was a bit brittle, that trying to bend it, you know, just completely destroyed it but a little bit of super glue and some patience managed to take care of that quite well and uh, it's barely noticeable there's a hairline crack along his inner thigh but you know chicks dick scars right (laughs) they do indeed also I hear as long as he's just standing in there it really doesn't really matter well I I like to take Steeler out every now and then have him (laughs) What, command the tank by not being in it? He's the tank commander. The Mobat is so small that it could possibly be run by remotes. (laughs) And that would explain why he's got such a sophisticated helmet. I mean, Steeler was one of the original team members to have a visor. But not just any visor. He had this wicked, very bulky binocular setup which had various functions on it and and could perhaps be used for running the tank systems while he's got his head out. And if that's the case, why can't he run the systems while he's actually in a bunker somewhere? It's a a possibility. Something that I like to to indulge. I think that wraps up our recent acquisitions section. Now on to the main topic, the G.I. Joe video game. Yay! (laughs) I think... 
quite crucial to this debate is defining what kind of genre we'd like this game to be expressed in. Paul, what are your thoughts? Okay, I've always felt G.I. Joe should have a bit of a, a mixed genre. I mean, with the eight, with the original 8-bit, well, not the original 8-bit game, um, but with the NES game being something that's, you know, it's quite fondly remembered by us here in the team. I'm not sure, I think, did you play the arcade, arcade game as well, Steve? I did not, but we watched speedruns of the gameplay on YouTube. They are available if you are so interested, dear listeners. The G.I. Joe arcade game, which was for up to four players. You could control Duke, Snake Eyes, Scarlet, or Roadblock. And it was just a, a forward scroll Very... shoot 'em up It's weird we never yeah. tried to get the ROM for it. Well, because they ROMs want... are illegal. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's why we haven't tried to get the ROM. Uh, I mean, if we had to find it on a hard drive somewhere, that would be cool. <laughs> but only if it had been paid for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, currently I'm looking at getting the arcade board because I'm looking at building an arcade cabinet for four players so we can have just such a game in our house. <laughs> <laughs> but on to important stuff. The thing is, one of the core features in the, the game, I feel, would have to be, it would have to have a strong action ethos. I mean, G.I. Joe is... A toy line that has guns and killer vehicles and stuff. So obviously we need an action element, so it couldn't be like an RPG or something. But then we like certain things about some of the modern RPGs, things like Skyrim and Fallout. They've um, given us some very interesting quirks to to modern-day role-playing games. And then squad-based, you couldn't have a game where you're just using Snake Eyes or, or Scarlet running around the game just by yourself. And the original NES game proved this in that you could take three team members with you into any mission. And they each had their own styles of fire or their own jump heights or their own melee combat values. Well, I figure a modern version of that with squad-based gameplay, possibly over-the-shoulder view for your action, something that plays very similarly to Gears of War or Resident Evil, you know, in terms of the the control system, which adds a, a basic squad management system in it, would be something that plays really well. It would be very cool if we could bring in some kind of character design system so that the game isn't just, you know, you can you can start on a blank slate. The genre of this game would be primarily a shooter, yeah, but be. with with the kind of RPG elements that you would find in perhaps GTA or Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, in that oh. you control your character's movements what kind of missions he or she takes on, and also be able to manipulate the environment in the same vein that in GTA you can hop in a vehicle, drive or fly it with a certain level of freedom. Which gives us a a very distinct battlefield um, element to the game as well, in that you have vehicles that are in your area of operation, that kind of thing, that you have full access to, regardless if you're a Joe or Cobra. Also something that was found in the original NES game, you know, in the original NES titles with the the helicopters and the buzzballs. Well, it was certainly an early, quite rudimentary attempt at, at capturing that. But in our game, my distillation of, of the idea that I've been kicking around for the longest time is basically if you were a child again and had access to absolutely every G.I. Joe toy ever produced... What would your playtime be like? A game that can do that would be the ultimate. 
if you could have complete freedom over the characters you use to make up your squad, the types of missions that you take on, even the outcome of those missions. I mean, essentially, I want freedom to play a Joe campaign or a Cobra campaign. In the digital realm. Absolutely. See, the thing is, my vision of the game is not too far from yours in that it has a bit more of a focus on things like uh, your character design. I always thought one of the cool things, and I know us as a team, we like to steal Brigaders, or we did when we were, we were kids. And I think it would be really cool if you could fashion your own Joe, your own character, that you could go on assignments with. I mean, it wasn't, it's not the way to do it. It's just, it's an option. You can either make a steel Brigader, and he can be your, your guy that you use to, to get through the game. Or, you know, you can, you know, maybe do some kind of personality test where the game sort of assigns a Joe that's, that's closer to your, to the, uh, to the way that you answer, you know, specific questions that they throw at you. I don't know if I agree with that entirely. I think players would want to have control over what canonic characters they are allowed to employ, but in order for the game to function, in order for there to be one plot thread involving one single protagonist, I think you'd have to start out the game as yourself. As a custom character, you can change his or her appearance, code name, even affiliation, and that character rises up through the ranks of either Cobra or Joe, and as you do that, other players or other characters become unlockable and you can add them to your squad. To your roster, yeah. I mean, a cool way, just, sorry, I just thought of it now, but a cool way would, uh, thing would be that you start off as this sort of nameless soldier. You've been trained um, by G.I. Joe, so you, you start off as a steel brigader, but through, during the course of the mission, a few sort of uh, crossroads come at you, and you can either choose to go left or right, and maybe going, let's just say, a decision that you make to go left means that you want to side with Cobra. So you're helping Cobra in this mission, uh, or you're backstabbing the Joes by helping Cobra get away with some kind of radioactive isotope or something. And that sort of leads you on to the, you know, a mission where Cobra Commander's like, ah, I see we have another, you know, like recruit. And then you start going through your ranks there. And it's great because it also has a great kicking and screaming mechanism, which allows the player to get a feel for how the game works and how things work before, you know, you pick a side. Would this be set before the conflict between G.I. Joe and Cobra had been defined? This is when Cobra had just appeared on the scene. There wasn't really a counter-terrorist unit created to stop them, that it was kind of all a little bit more mysterious, and that you were just functioning as a some kind of mercenary in the world, and you could go either way, yeah. either be become a Cobra agent, or become enlisted in the group of men and women destined to stop them? I, I think I've told you this before, where I've had this idea where, where it's about a mercenary who sort of becomes very jaded and feels that Cobra are the actual, are the only force, or the only thing doing something right in the world. So he the, uh, opts to follow Cobra, and because of the, the way that Cobra is sort of sold to him in, in his mind, and because of how jaded he is, it would be an interesting twist in that we could actually make it that as the first mission that you go on like you said you could be some kind of mercenary not really affiliated with either team you know the next thing is an ad for oh cobra cobra is changing lives look at what cobra is doing you know and then that you're getting fed all of this sort of like propaganda so when you get into the first mission as a player you also have this 
an emotional connection to to whatever's happening in the world to decide that you want to join. Being a G.I. Joe fan beforehand, you'd be like, oh, cool, I love the way that they're trying to sell Cobra to me. Oh, and I love the way they're trying to sell G.I. Joe, and I want to be a, you know, a Joe for this, uh, this round of play, that kind of thing. How about a scenario where you go on this initial opening mission as your custom character, and then at the end of it, you're caught in some darkened debrief chamber where you're basically drilled and given options like an RPG and based on your decisions you're either assigned to the Joe team or the Cobra team. In retrospect the debrief was being held by a Cobra operative if you choose Cobra or if Cobra chooses you I should say or a Joe member if you wind up becoming a Joe but in that very moment it could go either way, depending mm. on the options that you select. That, that would be very, very cool. Something very similar to what has been done in games like um, Skyrim and Fallout, where in Fallout a lot more of the decisions are, are more obvious to you because it actually asks you questions and you, you choose an answer. Skyrim has a mix of you get asked, in, uh, asked a question, you choose an answer, and you might follow the guy, and then you see some other guy that's like, whoa, I need help, and then you go and follow him. You know, uh, I mean... It could be done in a very you know, non-linear way and stuff. I really like that idea, Steve. That's very cool. So you're saying you want to plot, but at the same time you want to be able to play it as if it was your kid playing games. Because you said you want to create your own campaigns, but how can you do that if there's a predetermined plot? All right. I mean, when I say I want the freedom that I have with the actual toys, it's, I suppose, more along the lines of, I want to be able to control a vehicle or complete the mission on foot. There's freedom to a point. Once you've been assigned to G.I. Joe or Cobra, you have what I believe is called sandbox gameplay Mm -hmm. within their central HQ. So if you're a Joe, you have freedom to roam around the pit, explore its various areas, but when you're ready for a mission, you head over to the briefing room and... Hawk gives you an assignment. There's no choice in what your next mission is. No, no. They, I think I think what Steve is uh, trying to say is, is that um, if for listeners out there who have played games like Mass Effect, what ends up happening is there's all of these things happening all the time. But until you actually choose to engage in them, that's when the, the story moves forward. Uh-huh. So you could get into a briefing room and maybe instead of as, as your player, what happens is you turn around and then you'll become Hawk. And then you'll be assigning different people to different missions. And then that would be your opportunity to take your character. Or you would be uh, an Ali Viper commando or Cobra commando or whatever. And you would be saying, um, I want this guy and I want, um, okay, just going back to G.I. Joe, I want Gung Ho, Scarlet, um, you know, Corporal Decoy and Snake Eyes to go on this mission. And that's the mission that you'll go on. Uh, for example, and then as you're going through the mission, you unlock, um, you know, you get some story criteria, things move forward. You know, there could be a, a big end game, uh, something that, you know, both sides are, are working towards. But, you know, you, you get to choose which missions you want to go through on your way to towards the big end game. Very much like Mass Effect. That's That's kind of how I imagine or understand what Steve's saying. And, of course, as you play more and more equipment becomes unlocked. Something that I have a personal affinity for is the development of the conflict kind of mirroring the development of the toy line. 
Okay. So initially you start out with a small unit of Joes fighting a Cobra outfit of blue shirts, the commander, and the baroness. And there's an escalation. Joes start developing their weapons and equipment, start expanding their roster with more specialists, not just a bunch of grunts, but guys like Airtight, Sci-Fi, Mainframe. Cobra, on the other hand, enlists the aid of Destro, Dr. Mindbender, Zartan. I would like all of these characters to be playable, but you still always have to maintain your protagonist. Yes. Do you mean by playable that you can put them into your squad? Yes. Take them on missions. So instead of choosing a guy with a gun, you'll choose airtight. So you can. I think every open. character will have will have weapon slots that are open for either a rifle or or sidearm that they're issued, but they're also specialized items. Like airtight, you can play the entire game with him in your squad, but he would really shine in environments where cobras used some sort of biological chemical warfare. Yeah he would be the guy to counter that. He'd be able to go into gassed out areas. He'd be able to go into radiologically affected areas. What's also cool is this whole model also lends itself well to a very good online gameplay model. And I don't mean an online model like a more, uh, MMO or, you know, like an online RPG. Uh, I would say it lends itself very well to something like Battlefield or even Warhawk or Starhawk, uh, which has just come out. What's cool about those games is that you also use a ground-pounding troop and you can jump into vehicles and you can jump into you know, aerial vehicles, mecha, whatever. But the great thing is, is that if you're playing online with a squad of buddies, what you can do is you can actually all play as your unique characters and much like how Battlefield works, it, it has revolving roles in that if you play as an engineer, as an engineer, part of your mission is to be a tank killer, um, to set up traps like mines and things like that, or you can be um, a support gunner, which is you know the dude that runs around with the extra ammo packs and things. But how it would translate into GI Joe would be everybody can take either the character that they've groomed up, and that character could be a very efficient engineer style, you know, like you know whatever your military speciality ends up being, or you can take your favorite Joes. And the catch there is that you know there's always going to be the argument is who's going to be Snake Eyes and how do you you create that kind of play model. But then you can actually, I, I think it is very possible to make it balanced or to balance it out where you could have a team with the Snake Eyes and a Storm Shadow and a Rock and Roll and a Stalker, you know. As long as those guys know what they're doing with their characters and they work together as a team, you could, you know, do pretty well online. And I think that would be very cool. And that's where something, with what you were saying, that's where I think that would lend itself well is to the online model. Um, another, another idea, sorry, that just came to me. Uh, once again, I'm referencing Mass Effect uh, here because it has made a, a really positive impact on the gaming world. Unfortunately, I know a lot of people are conflicted about certain things that have happened in the third game, but the the core of that game is that you still have to build up uh, relationships with the, the the crew around you. Um, so there's personalities that you you know you have to either you know feather certain personalities. And what's cool about that is in GI Joe, the character you play could have a good relationship with a character like Rock and Roll and Scarlet. And then when you bring them out on missions with you, they're more efficient or they level up or, you know, something, something to that, that to that extent. Maybe getting on really well with mainframe means that you get choice information on the field. Little things, but that is something that could incorporate well in there as well. 
Would you like every single G.I. Joe and Cobra action figure basically to be playable? I would like a cap. It's a game, okay? And a first release game is always the one that that you would take longest to make because you're still working out things. You're building engines if you're not if you're not customizing an engine. Uh, you're creating ga- rules in the game and stuff like that, and you're testing them and you're checking what works, what doesn't work, what speaks to a player, what goes over a player's head, that kind of thing. And I think if you had to maybe have a cap of Joes, like you could only use 30 of the, uh, 30 individual characters in this iteration of the game. That would be a good thing because, firstly, when a sequel is considered, and a sequel will be considered if it does well, uh, you want to be able to have something for for your original fans to look forward to. You want to have the idea of using new characters or you know new takes on old characters. And a game series that does this very well, but it's a Japanese game series, is the games based on the Mobile Suit Gundam line. The PSP line of the the Gundam games had six iterations of this line now, but it's I can't for the life of me think of the name right now, but it's a. It's Japanese. You're forgiven. It's Japanese. <laughs> I just yeah, because I'm looking at the cover, but it's got Japanese on the spine, so I can't read it right now. But what happens is you start off with a basic mech. If you use the Xeon side, which are the antagonists in the Gundam line, you will start off with their basic units, which are the Zaku ones. And then as you play through the game and you do well on your missions, you rank up and you actually get paid money, and then you can use the money to buy upgrades for your units. But on top of that, you unlock the licenses to use better machinery. What's cool about this is that, depending on what side you play, you start unlocking some seriously badass uh, mobile suits to play with. And I, I see this as a great mechanism for the for the Joe game or for the GI Joe vehicle. But at the same time, with this game sequels, with the subsequent you know releases that come afterwards, they don't change the gameplay much. They just tantalize you by going. The F-91 Gundam's in this one. Or you can unlock... The Cobra Hammerhead. Yes. For example, you, you have other vehicles to look forward to, other things that make you want to play the next iteration of this game. And I think if a lot of cool stuff is presented for the player in the first one, and it's fun to the, to the point where the player is like, wow, this is really amazing, that's cool. And what is inevitably going to happen is people are going to be like, but they don't like the way this controlled or they don't like the way that this worked. So those are cool features to refine. So when you release a sequel, it is, in fact, a better game. What if the first game was set in 1982 and you play the years 82 to 84? So, that would be very cool. Yeah, all the gear and characters are limited to that time span. You've got all the critically important characters covered so you're not going to have a fan say, well, this game sucks, it doesn't have Stalker, or this game's rubbish because I wanted to play as Destro. No, yeah, you've got all that, but you're capped at a certain point mm. in G.I. Joe's history. Then a sequel would give you, you know, you started out with Steeler and the Mobat, well, now you've got the Mauler and Heavy Metal. You started out with a Vamp, now you've got the Ore Striker, and you started out with the Pit, well, now, guess what? You're kicking it on the USS flag, baby. No, that's cool. That kind of stuff is very, very cool. And then also when it comes to like making expansion packs, for example, I'm thinking Cobra here. Because Cobra has very few named characters, uh, but very many you know, units, but it would be very cool if expansions focused on... You know, this is before a sequel, obviously. You bought an expansion pack where you could use Zartan. 
for example, you, I mean, you're using Zartan already in the game and you're doing some cool stuff with him and he's got like a chameleon blending kind of ability that allows you to sneak up in guys, something tantamount to the stealth camouflage. But what happens is you get an expansion pack that gives him specific missions that only he goes on by himself infiltration missions and you'll use his specialized skill set. What's cool about that is you're not forcing it down a player's throat because then maybe some players don't like sneak gameplay. So what happens is you're keeping that out of the hands of people who don't like sneak gameplay, but you're definitely treating and rewarding people who like sneaking gameplay. At the same time, you're giving them another pack which is something to look forward to where you use a more hands-on character like Roadblock or maybe you're controlling all of the Dreadnoughts or something like that and you're doing something that's a lot more loud and explosive. And and I I found that this model has worked really well with GTA, and with the the Mass Effect titles once again, because Mass Effect has done some fairly decent um, expansion, and so has Fallout, where they've done some really great expansions, and they've they kind of the expansions have felt quite different from the main game. It's same same but different, and that's cool. In the case of Mass Effect 2, you got a an expansion pack where you used, uh, you made a character called Kasumi, and instead of it being a gung-ho, kind of go in there, blow everything up kind of mission, not like the whole game is like that, but it was so different from the game's standard uh, routine that it was actually quite welcome. It was a welcome change in pace. So that's where I see things also you know, evolving. I don't like the idea of, for example, expansion packs being, well, here's extra vehicles, because I prefer having a lot of great quality vehicles in the game that you're getting, and then having great quality vehicles on top of what you've got already to look forward to in a sequel, without an end user knowing about a sequel yet. Maybe vehicles that are kind of double-ups. For instance, sure, in the main game you get a Sky Striker, awesome, and it it covers everything you need from an air superiority fighter, but in an expansion pack... You can also get the Conquest. Or even an an superiority pack. In Battlefield, when you use uh, an aerial vehicle, for those of you out there that played you, yes, I mean the three of you out there that haven't played Battlefield, but what happens is when you use a a plane or something, you're using it in quite a a constrained space, and you're not using it the same way a plane would be used. Uh, In Battlefield, obviously, they do this to balance the gameplay, because if that was the case, then everybody would be flying around in jets and destroying everybody. Oh, wait. That's what they do already. But, you know, if you had missions that were sort of akin to Ace Combat, so, you know, you had an expansion pack or maybe even a G.I. Joe branded flight game, you know, would be cool as well. But I don't want to stray off too far. I kind of like where you were going with them. The first thing, I just wanted to expand on the idea. <laughs> but how do you do the split? Okay, yeah. if, if, we, if we are speaking about a shooter, mm. how do you incorporate aerial vehicles? It's a bit easier with choppers, but... How do you um, incorporate a Sky Striker? Here's probably, one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry here's <dude. laughs> here's my, my stab at it. That game play varies according to the mission. In certain circumstances, you'll need just infantry mm-hmm. or just specialists who would be used in a sort of infiltration type mission. But every now and then, you get the, the type of all out pitched battle scenario Mm -hmm. where if you want to play it by simply being air support you can play it that way and whether or not you've done an effective job determines the outcome everything will always hinge on the player if you want to be the chopper pilot if you want to be moving wounded in and out of the battle that's your role and if you excel at it 
Joe's win the day, or Cobra wins the day, depending on which side you've picked. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to be on the ground playing Steeler in charge of a tank squad, that's your role. And if you excel at it, Joe wins the day. So every now and then, you get these epic battles, which should satisfy your need to commandeer various vehicles. That's why this game would have to be very different from Battlefield, because Battlefield has the crazy situation of you've got some tools to use and you've got your ground forces and you sort of go and then what happens is you've got the guys who like using tanks or who have played with tanks enough to have leveled it up and they're just using a tank in a scenario that accommodates a tank or you know or doesn't but they'll still use it and they'll use it to great effect something uh, with gi joe the the catch is where you have lots of vehicles and lots of things there's very little that stops a, a player from just getting into a vehicle, simply getting into a vehicle, um, and just driving over everybody, which is cool because that's part of the sandbox mechanic. But well, a good thing in the in the single player version of this game, and and I would like to refer to the single player more often than not in this, is that if you choose to drive a vamp around and you choose to drive over cobra troopers and things like that, that your characters, that your main guy is invariably going to get more of a of a balance towards driving vehicles. And it's going to pull some of his uh, stats away from his accuracy and things. Not necessarily like uh, as a uh, not as a form of punishment, but more as a case of in real battle anything you get more experience when you do some certain task repeatedly. And I know that for a fact this GI Joe game is going to do exceptionally well in the sense that we're going to have tons of snipers and we're going to have tons of guys that are going to be really good with the with the mobat. So the the in betweeners that's where it's going to be very interesting. That's where it's going to lend itself to, to interesting gameplay because those are the guys that are going to want to make the game indist- uh, interesting by playing characters like rock and roll and trying to beef up their artillery skills so that essentially you don't have to use a tank. You can just jump on the back of a vamp and you know get your characters to drive you to a certain point or something like that. Oh, I like where you're going with this, buddy. Oh, the greatest game that we'll never see. <laughs> and, and you know what? I, I if there's one podcast that we've done that I really want to have heard all over the world, it's definitely this one. Especially you know, people at really big companies, games companies. Well, well, not so much people at really big companies. No offense to the really big companies, but people <laughs> at companies that have real vision. And I mean, I would I would love it if we could do the game as the company that I'm with. If we could do that game, but I don't think. Well, I wouldn't say that we're incapable of doing it. In fact, a few things have come our way that, you know, feel that, well, that could make the, this kind of scenario very possible to us. I just would like Hasbro to really understand that, that this is something that they can do a lot more with. And the most recent iteration of the, the G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra game was utter rubbish. And it was probably fun for about a good hour until you actually realized that all the game was about was just that. And it was, and what it was doing wasn't even that good. It wasn't even good at what it was doing. And what it was doing is not exactly difficult. Most guys that are studying games design, that are in school now, they can make a game better than that. <laughs> okay? And that was that's the message I'm trying to get through. I think Sorry. we can all be in agreement that uh, the Rise of Cobra game was woefully inadequate. And I don't want to get into the merits of this too heavily, but I think that's typically the way licensed movie franchise games go. They're basically riding on the coattails of the feature film and don't really have any merit as games in and of themselves. They're thrown together 
in a shorter time frame and perhaps by less competent game designers than the big guns. Very true. And also working with a slightly smaller budget because it, it caters to a sort of a secondary market. The primary yep. consumers are the people watching the movie. The secondary consumers are the people who are going to buy the game based on the movie. It's exactly. kind of a, a filtered public. See, also, there's uh, a point I'd like to make here as well is that when you look at games like Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City, and you look at games like the Transformers uh, War for Cybertron, those are some really, really really stunning examples of how you can take a licensed game and move forward. Transformers, I'm sure a lot of the guys listening to our show are Transformers fans as well, and if they've played the game, they'll know that the game definitely felt like it was made by fans. It had some of the coolest characters in there. It sort of um, it stuck to the main canon in, a, in its own way. It sort of veered off with the story where it could. It took characters that were essentially robots in an 80s cartoon show that we, that we know pretty well, Okay, but that have been overshadowed by their movie counterparts and then brought them right back to being older versions of the 80s tune, of the 80s tune selves. And they just gave them such a great ethos, or they gave the game such a great ethos. You felt like, wow, somebody actually gets Transformers. This is like the coolest Transformers game ever. And likewise for Batman. Although Batman was strange in that, you know, it was an over the shoulder game and it, initially the first impression is a word that it wasn't very Batman-like, you know, until it came out and people got a chance to play it. They were like, wow, this game is Batman. This game is Batman. You know, <laughs> it was cool. Just to conclude, is Lego. Lego are one of the most consistent toy makers in the world, okay? And people can argue till they blew in the faces, but Lego has never dropped in quality. It has always been a consistently good product for years. People are still buying Lego, and even Lego have been very, very careful with their branding, and they have got some of the best video games um, out in the market. I mean, the Lego Harry Potter, the Lego Star Wars, um, a line I'm very, very fond of, especially the Lego Star Wars games. I think they capture a side of Star Wars that is just really, really cool, and they're good games. And Lego has actually admitted that entering the digital realm and respecting the, the fact that the market is moving to a more digital base of operations is the way to move forward. They'll never stop making Lego, but they want to make Lego online as well. And they have had a few failed attempts, but at least they've tried to do it. Other companies, other toy companies are quite happy, and I'm sorry Hasbro, I'm making a stab at you here, but you're quite happy to repackage Battleship and then sell it for like twice the price you sold it for two years ago and try to make your money back on that instead of trying to be smart and do something unique with your license. Sure. Getting back to our game. Yes. <laughs> I would like to be an alley viper. Sorry. <laughs> well, this is this is a point that I want to address. You want a, a third-person perspective, but I just think it would be way cool to, like in uh, Metal Gear Solid, switch to first person, especially when you're dealing with specialized vipers, like a heat viper mm. or even just the generic viper. They have helmets that give them various sorts of readouts. And to be able to kind of go in there, put yourself inside the helmet of a target as he's making an orbital entry is just... Yeah, that just kind of thing would be awesome. Sorry. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it can be done. I mean, uh, games like Armored Core, and I'm talking about a lot more of the PS2 Armored Cores, offer so much customizability when it comes to your HUD and things like that. And then also, once again, I'm going to bring up the Gundam games. 
because a lot of the mecha stuff in Japan has that that feeling um, where you can jump into one of the the mobile suits and you can sit inside the cockpit and see it as if you were in the cockpit or you could see the game from a third person perspective and i i for one love jumping into the cockpit of those of the mobile suits because that's something we'll never experience in our lifetimes sitting in a giant robot so having the the virtual counterpart to that is great and can i mean imagine being in a bug you know <laughs> or in a hammerhead or something like that you know where Oh, it, it'd just be really, really awesome and getting to actually feel what it's like in there. And I think based on what we've just said now, I think there should definitely be a third or first person switch. Like you can go third or first person without question. Wicked. Okay, here's something that just popped into my head. Are Hawk and Cobra Commander playable characters? Gents, Rob, why don't you say something on this? I don't know, I suppose there has to be a point where you have non-playable characters that you interact with. Well, I don't know, because, I mean, if you're in the base and you're, and you're interacting with the person across from you, what's stopping you from just being them? You're always you in the HQ environment, oh, yeah. but once you're on a mission where plot becomes less important, or at least character-driven plot becomes less important, it's more of a case of events unfolding around you, then you can be Snake Eyes. But mm. your default character, the character that always has to be on your squad, is you, your Steel Brigader, that, or Viper, or Cobra Blue Shirt that you started off, off as. Yeah. So then actually we wouldn't be able to play anyone else except ourselves, so we wouldn't no, no, be no. able to play Cobra. You, you, it would be squad-based. You would be able to select no. three other team members to make up your squad for the mission. Well, then it sounds like we could just choose Cobra Command and Hawk. Why not? What what I think would be very cool to create the split would be for G.I. Joe. You can always use Hawk as, for example, when it comes to deciding on missions or assigning, I wouldn't say budget. Uh, I'd say I'd, Hawk would be playable from a micromanagement point of view in the sense that you would um, Hawk would assign how many would say, okay, well, listen, uh, if we get two vamps brought in they will arrive in maybe two missions time that would be like you playing hawk they're all you know there's a strategic element to to hawk when you do your certain missions hawk would be the guy choosing the missions essentially but you would be controlling hawk choosing those missions and maybe creating a flow for the joes for cobra because there's so much infighting amongst uh you know the baroness cobra commander destro um zartan you know the the cobra elites and I know Serpentor won't be in this, but for argument's sake, Serpentor would be there too. It would be more influence from you as a, on a player's side, so you would be more... Hold on, Paul. Why you yeah. say Serpentor is not in on this? Let's just say I like I liked your idea of keeping it within the sort of 81 to 84 line. There's no Serpentor yet. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So um, let's just say for argument's sake, there is a Serpentor, and as a character, you know, you're, you've reached a point where you're quite high-ranking, so what happens is you've got people that follow you because, you know, they're scared of you in Cobra. So essentially the, the sort of decisions you support, so maybe you'll get into a situation and you'll have Destro and Cobra Commander and then you'll have a decision and it'll be like, um, should you, you know, go and steal like, you know, tons of shaving cream or would it be a good idea to, I don't know, go and bomb uh, discovered G.I. Joe arms depots and you'll be like, hmm, I don't know. I think blowing up the arms depots would be cool and then Destro will be like, I can see a career for you, laddie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then what happens is you start shifting the balance of power towards a character like Destro. In, in, in other words, Cobra starts being run more by Destro 
a Cobra Commander becomes more of the lackey. Um, that kind of situation. I don't know. This is just something in the back of my head, but or in the front of my head now, I suppose. But uh, yeah, this is just a scenario I see working out. I can see that kind of spiraling quite out of control, essentially, by being able to control Cobra hierarchy in the between mission sections of the game. You might be creating a bit too much of a, a free form game with with multiple uh, endings. Well, that's well, what I'm saying. It would be better just. There's no reason not to be able to control them during a mission. Yes, I'm, I, I'd have to admit that that's that, that I'm on your side, Rob. Yeah. All the characters are playable within mission mode. Yeah. But when you are experiencing the story in the sections between. Between missions, are you yourself then? You are yourself. It's kind of like Mass Effect, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. Well, that yeah, the thing, that mechanic yeah. works out in my mind because you cannot tell a fanboy or a fan, I should say, uh, of GI Joe that he can't play Cobra Commander. That's just outrageous. If oh. I'm going to play Cobra Commander. I gotta be able to play Cobra Commander. I wanna be able to fire that hairdryer venom gun at G.I. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I would like to fire that gun at G.I. Joe just to actually see what that gun does. <laughs> venom blasts. Hell, I don't know. I mean, but you can go so in depth with this kind of game. You know, that's what's cool about this kind of, you know, discussion is that what happens is you always shoot your ideas as, as high as you can and you start picking out the stuff that you know you can definitely do and then you start picking out the stuff that you want to try and do. Um, it's how we also, you know, it's how you determine your scope when it comes to games design. And, and listen, every different studios work differently. I know some studios work on a, okay, we've got six months, we've got this much money, let's make a game where you can use snake eyes and shoot a handgun at a his tank. Oh, wait, hold on, that wasn't a jab. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, look, I mean, this is all so deeply hypothetical. We've kind of whirled away all the time, the money, the fact that this game would be competing against some very, very big titles. And uh, the fact that, as a community, G.I. Joe fandom is a lot smaller than Transformers, even. Very true. I used to work in, in a retail store. We are one of the premier game stores in the country. We actually supply gaming and anime and action figures and stuff. What happens is, there's this little game called World of Warcraft. And, you know, World of Warcraft is something that, you know, you associate with your average PC gamer. You know, a lot of gamers know what World of Warcraft is. It's a strategy game and blah, 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 etc. And then they released the, the, the RPG, the, the MMO, and it caught some serious momentum. To the point that in the shop, some of the little kids, the 8-year-olds to the 12-year-olds to the 14-year-olds, the cool kids, you know, like the 15, 16-year-olds, they were playing World of Warcraft. And I'm not talking about the geeky types here. I'm talking about, like, the cool kids. The You know, they, they're they with it. They're, like, you know, all the girls are getting, like, happy running after them and stuff like that. These kids were playing World of Warcraft. And you know what they did? They went and bought World of Warcraft toys. Because we also sold those. And the World of Warcraft toys did exceptionally well for at least five waves. And when I say exceptionally well, I'm talking about sales figures well into 700, 800 for each wave. Which for a wave of figures is quite a bit. If you if you think about it, especially in our market, which is South Africa. I mean, we're not a, a high consumer of things like you know specialty 
action figures and stuff like that. I can imagine in America and in Europe, those figures could be quadrupled. So here's a really good game that sold a toy line on something that is as geeky as World of Warcraft. And, and I say geeky because, you know, normally orcs and fairies and <laughs> elves and stuff are not considered cool kid territory, but everybody played World of Warcraft, okay, and, except for myself, but still. It's the extension of Dungeons and Dragons, basically. Basically, yeah. There were action figures for Dungeons and Dragons, too, weren't they? They were, yes, I believe they were. <laughs> There's some very cool statues um, that they've done over the years, but, but for a while... Yeah, I can't believe the groundswell that it caused. And I, I was just, I just remember sitting going, you know, video games are killing toys, but here's a video game that's selling toys. Once again, I hope somebody from Hasbro is listening and somebody understands the importance of how a digital brand can help push a physical brand uh, like a toy. Well, okay, I didn't want to get into it, but I suppose in a podcast that addresses this topic, we can't ignore it. But what are the biggest obstacles to a game like this ever being produced. We've touched on the fact that the G.I. Joe fan base is not as large, or certainly not as large as Lego, not even as large as the Transformers fan base. What other limitations do come with the brand? Okay, well, okay, obviously size of your market is always something to consider, especially with a brand um, like G.I. Joe and when you're dealing with a company like Hasbro who is about um, having a, a good brand uh, I- image, at least in a, in a community. But they uh, are a toy manufacturing company. They, they are, are relatively new to the gaming industry. They are relatively new. Um, I'm sure they are finding their feet uh, I've got sources that have actually dealt with Hasbro um, on a face-to-face level, and they have told me that Hasbro have definitely uh, been trying to get into the digital market. I think it's just it, okay. The the big thing, uh, this is obvious, so I'm going to throw it out first. Is budget. A budget is always going to be something that's prohibitive. Um, you can't go and get like millions of dollars to go and make a game because essentially you're taking millions of dollars, millions of dollars on a hope and a prayer. Uh, things like Kickstarter, which have um, just sort of appeared now, uh, it's a company that helps uh, individuals generate uh, capital to start off on projects. But the idea is that you pitch the project to Kickstarter themselves, and then Kickstarter helps you bring in the money. So, for example, if somebody wanted to to make this game um, independently, they would have to start up a Kickstarter, then or find a way to get the capital. Um, a second thing is, yes, it's licensing. Uh, the problem is Hasbro is a toy brand. And although it is a toy brand that is based on a, a war-based action figure or an action figure that, well, it, G.I. Joe puts the action in action figure, okay? Hoorah! Uh, ya! <laughs> and the thing is, right, you can't, because it's a brand that's also selling Battleship and, you know, uh, My Little Pony. I think they are selling My Little Pony. It is a Hasbro product. Uh, anyway, um... You have to be careful with blood, guts, and gore, and violence, and things like that, because because the game has to be as accessible to a seven-year-old as an 18-year-old, or even as a 32-year-old. And the case here is that you have to be able to sell the game to the parent. The parent has to understand that the game is not going to drive their kid into some kind of violent, you know, people-killing lunatic. So that is where Hasbro, I think, is very careful. They they want to make sure that the game is not branded as this war thing. They want to make sure that maybe they're not associated with you know, war, death, and killing, uh, which is understandable, of course. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, just one one thing. Also, it could be the choice of console. 
Because, I mean, surely the PSP is sort of aimed at trying to get younger people to play than the, you know, TV consoles, I, would ag- I think. I would agree with you um, until they released the PSV. Uh, the price point of the PSV, although it's cheaper than the PSP when it came out, the price point doesn't lend itself to a kitty console. It also, it's it's a lot more fragile. Uh, it's weird. It's more fragile than the PSP in some regards, but then because it hasn't got a lot of moving parts in it, or actually no moving parts really, other than the buttons and analog sticks, it doesn't. It's less fragile in that regard. But like for example, I wouldn't in my right mind buy my eight-year-old a PSV unless he's been able to, you know, like carry an egg without breaking it for like you know six months of his life well parents you know I mean? buy their kids where something like a ds you know you know what's nice about an iphone we're putting in a lot of plugs i'm just saying but the <laughs> iphone they're pretty i wouldn't say i don't want to go as far as to say indestructible but drop an iphone you'll see it it doesn't shatter into a thousand pieces you know uh also the psv doesn't seem to have any kind of shockproof um case for it available yet and I think the PSV is probably one of the few Sony consoles that you could actually make a really good shockproof case for. Um, the 3DS, for example, is more kid-friendly. It's also kind of expensive, but kids feel sa- um, parents feel safer with the Nintendo brand because they know that the kids are not going to stumble on, once again, violent games and things like that. And that's where I think Hasbro has a lot of concern because they don't want to be associated with violence and stuff. Although they're walking sort of a... It's weird, it's just... They're walking on a funny road because unlike you know, with companies like like Disney, which have recognized a, a sort of an edgier audience in the form of Pirates of the Caribbean and you know having acquired Marvel and stuff like that, they recognize that there and they're reaping it in. You've got a movie like Battleship, which I haven't yet watched, but it's a it's an action film and all that. But from what I've heard, it hasn't got a lot of punch. So. What's happening? Are they? You know, it's a branding concern that's getting in Hasbro's way, and I really think that in order for a game like this to come out, Hasbro needs to look at creating um, an edge to themselves, very much like how companies like Cartoon Network and Disney are starting to create edgier versions of themselves. Cartoon Network did the the Adult Swim, and they've also had the Tsunami, uh, which is unfortunately gone now. But they had uh, Tsunami, which was designed to show anime. Um, I believe Cartoon Network in the States, and for the listeners out there, you can correct me on this, but I believe things like Bleach and Naruto are shown on TV. And although they're not blood, guts, and gore, they are slightly edgier than most shows. I think Hasbro needs to look at creating a subdivision of their branding, which allows for things like G.I. Joe and Transformers and stuff, taking it to the next level a little. Um, Still maybe kid-friendly with things like cartoons and stuff and with the figures, but maybe in the gaming realm, letting the more sort of 13, the the PG to 13 age-restricted games come out because that's where we will have something like, you know, our game, our this this conceptual G.I. Joe game. That's where something like that will come out and work. Agreed. I would certainly not like this game to be kiddified. <laughs> I'd like it to properly address the military realism that, that fans of that element of G.I. Joe would go crazy for. But this segues nicely into my next problem with this game ever seeing the light of day, and that's the fact that there are some very established and very good first-person shooter brands out there and RPG game-making brands out there that have an immensely devoted fan base, and they have that fan base for a reason. They do a very good job. 
how the hell is G.I. Joe supposed to compete with these established and very, very expert outfits? It would have to be an exceptional game. It would have to be. Um, it would need to obviously transcend um, its branding image, its current branding image. This is something that we would, hypothetically, this is something we would have to rely on the film for. The film is very much the, the seed uh, that is going to sort of spark up into to whether people like it or not. I mean, the last G.I. Joe film, and, and this is from non-G.I. Joe fans, um, a lot of people I know who don't know G.I. Joe or don't really know the toy line or the, remember the cartoon really enjoyed the original film and thought it was a pretty decent action film and thought it was really cool. And then knowing that I was a fan proceeded to tell me how awesome it was. I bit my tongue. But but let's, let's say... Good boy, think. don't piss on their parade. No, exactly, they're happy, you know. They they were happy with and that's cool. You know, to which I just reply, check out the Retaliation trailer. <laughs> but if Retaliation does really well, like the Transformers films did, you'll see a marketed spike or, or a noticeable spike in people's interest towards the brand. And that's where something... That's where sort of a more fertile grounding comes out for gaming, uh, for the game to to survive and for the brand to build up. Also, <laughs> game- the jokes on them when they buy this game and realize it has very little to do with the retaliation storyline. No, but as as Paul said earlier, I mean, like with the Transformers Cybertron game is so different from the films, but at the same time, it is exceptionally popular. It, I mean, the, the films still drew in people, and they found something interesting in that different aspect, a different take on the characters. I mean, another thing as well is with the, with the Spider-Man, when Spider-Man first came out, the, the first Spider-Man film, uh, Marvel had released, I can't remember um, if they had just released Ultimate Spider-Man as a build-up to the first film, like they think they did the first two issues, or if they did it post-Spider-Man, um, the first Spider-Man film. But regardless, Ultimate, the Ultimate line of Marvel comics did exceptionally well in that timeline because the movie had such an impact on on viewers and on the movie going market that movie goers started becoming comic buyers mm. and bought into the branding and the same thing happened quite recently with Batman. Batman Begins did well it got a good spike. The Dark Knight probably saw one of the highest sales rates of Joker and Joker figures and Joker related merchandise in our store and that once again, it created an interest in comics, and a lot of those guys came back as Batman fans, as fans of Batman and fans of comic books. I think if if the brand is handled properly, what will end up happening is people will turn to this again. And also, with the games market, we're currently sitting um, in a, I wouldn't say a slump now, but uh, Mass Effect 3 has just come out. Uh, Diablo 3 is around the corner. Diablo 3 is the big game everybody's waiting for. But that hasn't stopped people from buying games. People are still you know, looking for like a really, really cool game. And sorry, guys, this is a bit of a plug. There's a game called Path of Exile. It's a free, free-to-play Diablo-style role-playing game uh, on PC. It's got a bit of an MMO uh, portion to it, but, as, but it is a single-player experience as well. Very, very, very cool. In a lot of ways, it's a Diablo clone, but in a lot of ways, it has an unique sort of side to it. And their beta release is doing really well, despite the fact that Diablo 3 is around the corner, ready to take everybody's money. You know, And also, uh, we go through phases. There's these little phases where you buy a game. It's the big game of that time. It's the sort of the apex. It's the, it's the Mass Effect, or, or it's the Fallout, or it's the 
Gears of War. But then you play that game, you finish it in a week or two weeks' time, depending on how much gaming time you get in. And then you buy something that's very much like it. And even Battlefield is going through a bit of a phase now where, you know, there's a new expansion stuff that's come out for Battlefield and we're still playing a bit of stuff online. But anything that's like Battlefield or anything that can challenge Battlefield and maybe give us answers to questions that Battlefield and maybe Call of Duty, (coughs) Call of Duty, (laughs) hasn't answered for us, um, is great. And the thing is, games today, during this podcast, you can still take your games to a store and trade them in. Um, for other games, you know, with credits and whatever, and I know you can still do that in the States. Uh, this is something that in the future might not be a reality, but I hope that that's not the case. But yes, in a world where we can still take our games in and trade our games in once we finish them for new games, I think the G.I. Joe game that we're talking about has a very, very high chance of success. Maybe not necessarily the groundbreaking game of the year, but it'll definitely plant a seed in, a seed in gamers' minds and maybe even get a very hyped-up sequel sort of mob that we could go with. I just think the biggest advantage that a G.I. Joe game has at its very outset, if you have a bunch of designers and creatives who really understand the brand or really understand what it was that made it the hottest toy of the 1980s, is the fact that all the designs are there to be used. All the vehicles, all the stuff that made this a truly great toy line is at your disposal. You've got years and years of amazing product to use and not so amazing product to ignore. You can make a distillation of the very best stuff that G.I. Joe has ever had to offer. The thing is, uh, like you mentioned now, it's it's completely untapped potential in a lot of ways. And, you know, one thing Rise of Cobra did have, to its credits, the character design in Rise of Cobra was really, really good. Because they took character designs like Beachhead and uh, Snake Eyes and them, and they, they didn't movify them too much. They just gave them a sort of a realistic presence. That realistic presence translated into a lot of the pursuit of Cobra figures. For example, the Beachhead and the Firefly. Um, and, and these are really, really great designs. This is what I would like to see from G.I. Joe as a brand moving forward, both in the toys and in the, and in the, the software, is I'd like to see all of these great concepts that exist already, things like, you know, the Vamp, the Night Raven, the the Cobra Bug, the Hammerhead and stuff, and see people take them, not not redesign them, just take them forward a little, you know, just a touch. Just, you know, the same way Pat Lee has made Optimus Prime look even cooler by adding some extra panel lines and, you know, just giving it a new dressing and just moving it forward and bringing it to, to a modern, sort of a more modern grasp or more modern understanding i still feel in a lot of ways retaliation um sort of misses a bit of what i have in my mind but then again i think that's a fanboy curse it's always going to be a case of that that's why i'm kind of so excited about the movie um i also think that i think it's sci-fi games are the guys that are doing that uh that new there's a, a gi joe game that's sort of coming out soon it's a it's some kind of uh facebook thing i'm not really entirely sure on all of the details but i I do like some of the con. Oh, I have liked some of the concept stuff on there, and I think if they get it right, um, we might have quite a cool, you know, footing in GI Joe. So I just want to see. Uh, I just want to see that little bit of extra tweak on the on the plethora of ideas that were brought in uh, in the 80s and 90s. The stuff that we love, not the Ninja Cycle, but everything else, not the Battle Barge, but everything else. <laughs> no, come on! You know? You've got to have a Battle Barge mission. Just for the uh, sake, yeah. 
for the sake of completeness, the battle barge has to be worked in somehow. Why not? We do have a battle. <laughs> there is a battle barge mission. It just doesn't happen to be GI Joe branded. It's called Asteroids. You know, <laughs> you, you float around, dodging rocks and shooting. <laughs> it's like woo. Okay, whatever, buddy. If Harmer was able to introduce it in a comic book that had a very realistic undercurrent, then I think an action-adventure RPG video game can introduce the damn Battle Barge, please. Uh, No, I'm sure. I mean, listen... Oh, I've made a bit of a faux pas, pas, listeners. I uh, mistook the Battle Barge for the tactical battle platform. Oops. No, you're right, yeah, no, guys. The tactical battle platform is cool. The battle yeah. barge is an absolute piece of garbage, and awesome. you're right, it does not deserve to find its way into this video game, other than target practice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm just seeing it as a bonus run for the Joes, you know, like, as you're, like, ripping it, like, with some kind of, you know, cool water-based vehicle, like the whale, you know, you just have to, like, shoot battle barges. Yeah. Or dodge them, you know, like sort of go close to them and you get points, slash the Cobra Troopers on them. En route to the uh, yeah, the, fi- the final showdown on Cobra Island, where you yeah. fi- finally get to overrun it. Your, uh, your warm-up round is to just take pot shots at battle barges bobbing around the coastline. <laughs> I can see a, t- a complete reenactment from Hot Shots 2. You know, you sort of, you've got a, a SEAL team, so instead of like going on a whale, it's like, you know, six of you guys on the water... And then, like, somebody like Gung-Ho, because he likes, he's like, um, what's that stuff that he likes eating? Gumbo. And he, like, lets one rip, and it bubbles this, up to the surface. Was this Leslie Nielsen? Yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> it bubbles up to the surface, and then it battle barges away. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, uh, anything anyone wants to add in our fantasy G.I. Joe video game? Robbie, how about uh, you, buddy? No, not really. I'm, I'm liking the idea. I think it is. It, it's, it sounds very comprehensive and unique, and I think it can definitely go up against some of the big boys because it's got so much more going for it. Even, even if it wasn't a GI Joe game, all the elements we, we would, we, we would want in it is just so different from everything else that I think it would be. It should sell. It would sell well. Also, just on an unrelated note, having found a Batmobile. In Hot Wheels form, I'd love to see like Hot Wheels sized GI Joe vehicles, mm. like as Hot Wheels or something. You know, you buy them and you're like, you know, I'd love to walk into like Pick and Pay or something and you know see a an old striker on a blister packaging and a Hot Wheels package and sort of like you know do a double take and be like, what is that a vamp? <laughs> what is that a Cobra bug? You know, it'd be awesome. Well, considering but, that, yeah, Hasbro does that with some of the Transformers figures, don't they? I mean, they they've Characterize yeah. them to the point where they don't transform; they're just metalized, and yeah. it's like keychains. Yeah, they turn them into they turn them into GoBots. Yeah, <laughs> not even, buddy. At least GoBots transformed. <laughs> no, man, these are just. I don't think they call Transformers revs, or uh, I don't know. It's product that I would never buy as an adult. But yeah, it's it's basically just a die-cast metal car, akin to Matchbox or Hot Wheels, but it's got a Transformer motif on the on the underside, mm. and the car mode looks like Bumblebee or Optimus. I must say I wouldn't buy 
a scaled down diecast metal vamp. Uh, look, maybe as like an office toy, but I've got enough of that already. Uh, no, I, I, I wouldn't find place for it as an adult. As a child, maybe. I mean, I always got joy out of playing with, with metal cars, but now I'm just a bit too much of a, a slave to scale. If well, it's not 118, I don't want it. Well, just to, sorry, but just to come back to those Transformers figures, it actually looks like Bumblebee or Optimus's vehicle form landed on Bumblebee or Optimus Prime because it's sort of flattened underneath the car. Touche. That is exactly what they look like. Paul, closing thoughts on the G.I. Joe video game. I really hope that uh, if somebody's going to you know, use these ideas, that they would definitely actually ask us um, as a team to come in and consult um, and maybe also ask some of the uh, other, you know, echelons of, or some of the upper echelons or higher echelons of G.I. Joe podcasting out there uh, for no. their ideas and concepts. No, and just us. Concepts. <laughs> just us. <laughs> yeah, just us. Um, I think it would be very cool if uh, some, if you know, powers that be that wished to make this a reality would come uh, up to us and, and ask us for some ideas and consulting ideas and whatnot. It would be a dream job for me to work on some of the art for it, um, as well as doing ideas, because where, where I work, is my, my two primary functions are uh, draw cool stuff, uh, and draw more cool stuff and come up with cool ideas. Um, and that's that's my sort of job description at the company I work at. Um, another thing is, yeah, I, I also would love to hear what other guys have to think about this. And if any of the other podcasters, especially the G.I. Joe podcasters out there are listening to this, I'd love to hear your ideas. I'd love to see what you guys think um, as well. And, yeah, maybe, you know, this whole thumbs, maybe something cool would come out of it. I also want to talk about sideshow figures in our next episode. And, you know, Paul in his 12 inches <laughs> of Cobra. Paul and his plastic dolls. Oh, dear. I can appreciate how beautiful they are, but that's not G.I. Joe, man. That's not G.I. Joe. It's probably the most accurate G.I. Joes you'll ever find. And you're not Technically. willing to accept them. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I don't know. We all have our favorites, I guess. And... I am too sold on the three and three quarter inch Joe to ever come unhinged. Don't you mean four and a half inch by now? I mean, how tall are these guys now? Yeah, they have grown some. They're edging towards six inches. Eventually, <laughs> they'll all be twelve inches tall. Well, as long as they can still jump behind the wheel of a vamp, <laughs> they're still my Joe. Look, so basically, <laughs> our <laughs> um, your your outlook on this video game is quite positive, Paul. You think it could actually happen? Yeah, yeah. If, I, if I, I don't ever go into uh, a string of ideas, yeah. I I always imagine the end game is going to be big. It's the only way I can think when it comes to stuff like this. I mean, I've got a lot of ideas and a lot of things that haven't been realized, but I never go into an idea thinking, oh, you know, this will never happen. I always go into it thinking of the possibilities out there of the idea becoming a reality. I I don't like to think in purely hypothetical terms when it comes to an idea. Um, so, yeah, I have quite a, quite a positive outlook. <laughs> well, I can say, honestly, that before I went into this session, I had gathered a lot of sentiment in online forums and trawled through various blogs, websites that have addressed this topic before. 
And I must say the overwhelming sentiment was this game would never be made because of X, Y, and Z. But for the first time ever, I feel a little bit of positivity about this, this possibility. I feel that in the world of gaming out there to come, that this could find its niche. So, you know what? A little foolish part of me is hoping that this does happen. Honestly hoping that. That's an imp- it's, it's not just a pie in the sky. I, I, <laughs> I honestly believe that somewhere, sometime out there, this could come to light. This could come to fruition. Yeah, I just want it to happen as well. And yeah, and uh, I think it can. And uh, also, just coming back to, to retaliation figures, um, you know, seeing as we're leaving on such a positive note, um, <laughs> I'll stick with three to three quarter figures. <laughs> When they stop taking the damn articulation away, like <laughs> seriously, <laughs> yeah. Because I just well, it's a cost thing, isn't it? Oh, jeez, whatever. No, the cost. We're the cost. They're going to lose us, not money. Yeah. That, Look, that's the thing. It's the thing that set Joe apart for thirty years, and now they're scaling back on it. Oh, oh. It's weird. It's just sorry. I just I checked out a review on generalsjoes.com. Um, <laughs> um, I and. You know, he's generally very positive um, about Joe releases, and even in those reviews, he was fairly positive. But I could also feel there was that little bit of um, there's there's that pang. It's there. It's the you know the Cobra vibe. But you know the one that I really am excited about with the parachute. Mm. Oh, yeah, you know, he ha- he hasn't got double joint knees. He's only got that single joint knees. Uh, and the only positive thing I can think of for that is that maybe. It'll work in a vehicle better. I don't know. Maybe he'll fit in more vehicles. I don't know. That's that's me trying to be positive with this. But <laughs> I I just felt my stomach sort of grumble and be all upset with me when I saw that he only had bendable knees. I mean, Roadblock I couldn't care about, or Duke I couldn't care about. I mean, Duke I think I'm going to be cannibalizing him anyway for for another project. But you know, I'm really sad to see that Viper with single bend knees. And it occurred to me though, Paul, and and this just occurred to me as you said. Maybe he'll fit into vehicles better. You're absolutely spot on, man. Because the double joint knee extends the the the, the legs length basically. It makes it difficult to to fit 90 degree angles, which is what GI Joe vehicle seats typically have. Okay, maybe no. I take that back. There's no typical GI Joe seat. But if you could make a perfect 90-degree bend at both the hips and the knees, you'd have a greater chance of snugly fitting those kind of angles in a G.I. Joe vehicle. Not to mention the fact that the double joint itself means that the knee has to be, or the leg has to be slightly longer. Very true. I mean, maybe, um, maybe just maybe, I'll be able to fit one of these guys in the in the Night Raven, <laughs> you know? I, mean, I think that that might be a bridge too far, buddy. There were there were relatively few O-ring figures that could fit in the Raven, let alone 25th anniversary style. Yeah, but we can dream. Indeed. <laughs> but yeah, like I don't want to get into a downer about uh, the the retaliation figures. I I did go and buy both waves though. Oh my goodness! <laughs> get your trigger fingers ready, gentlemen. Paul has already hit the buy button. <laughs> yeah, because, and um, I'm actually, uh, 
Well, I'm I'm hoping that when I get paid next, uh, that the Amazon four pack exclusives are still available. Um, I'm mostly uh, interested in the Renegades uh, pack myself. Uh, that Red Ninja looks pretty sweet, and I like the tooling they've done on that Storm Shadow. He's looking pretty sweet in my eyes, and. Snake Eyes has a trench coat in the animated form, and I actually like the the sculpting on them. They have a, a more sort of animated approach to them, very much like the Clone Wars Star Wars figures do. And I'm I'm quite a fan of that, being a fan of the Batman animated series as well. So I'm excited about them. I'm not too terribly excited about the Duke that comes in that set, as many of you know. I'm not a Duke fan, but they have done some little things to him to make him different from the original single card release. So. All in all, it's a lot of win, and for $40, I don't think we can go too far wrong. So, Sure. So that's what's on your buying horizon. Rob, yep. anything that's taken your fancy, bud? Nothing really right now. I mean, I don't really have much money to, to spend, so I sort of I stick with what I have. Well, guess what, Rob? You might be getting a roadblock and a duke from retaliation soon. <laughs> Woohoo! With um, <laughs> Battle Carter. I'm looking forward to this. Um, also, so just before we go, those dollar store exclusive G.I. Joes, the black and white Storm Shadow and the the blue Snake Eyes as well as Ooh, the black Trooper. Those make me so angry. So angry. <laughs> Do you know why? What, what makes you angry? Why? Those figures make me pissed off. Okay. Can I tell you why? No. Are you interested at all? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm right. Yeah, Paul's interested. <laughs> How can that kind of rant not pique your interest? Let me tell you that those versions of Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow were, to my mind, the ultimate, bar none. Those were the coolest. When I was growing up, those oh, were up. just too cool. Perhaps it was the right timing. Perhaps I was just getting to that stage in G.I. Joe where those characters spoke to me as they speak to all of us initially. I mean, they are the kind of the big draws. But those outfits were just awesome and detailed and and stunning and the proportions were right there are funky elements to like the 1984 storm shadow and there are also funky slightly off elements to the 89 version oh no sorry oh, the, Black Snake Eyes the, the, the 88 version oh okay of storm shadow. Uh, storm shadow but his ninja force version was just the coolest the little I- Sculpted details on the shoulder pauldrons, the, 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 the shuriken and the grenades, the use of black and white, the fabric sash. Beautiful. That was the ultimate storm shadow to my mind. And people didn't like it. I can't believe that I, I hear this sentiment online of people saying, well, I never really thought much of that version of storm shadow. But now that they've done him in the updated modern era style, Oh, he looks all right. He looks pretty cool. I'll probably go out and get that. <laughs> oh, you fools! Okay. And the the thing is, this dollar store version doesn't do it perfect justice. Let me tell you, they missed out some pretty cool details, which just made the the Ninja Force figure cool. And sadly, this one's fallen short of the mark. Yeah. And I refer specifically to the shurikens and the fabric. Actually, yeah, there's something I wanted to jump in on there as well uh, when you were mentioning it earlier. That Storm Shadow also happens to be one of my ultimate favorite versions of Storm Shadow. Hooray! Uh, it's got a bit of a, a memory attached to it, but more, th- more important than that, it's the 
only Storm Shadow I was able to buy off the pegs because the previous version that I had was actually given to me by a friend of mine. And in part, I had to find an O-ring to fix it up. But that is one of my favorite Storm Shadows. And and he translates so well into the comic uh, pages as well. The Snake Eyes is not my ultimate favorite, but he is one of my favorite uh, favorite designs for Snake Eyes, and I'm also I'd even go as far as to say that I like the Ninja Force version that uh, the, the 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 design of his Ninja Force version as well that comes later. Um, but yes, I do think that on that Dollar Store remake, although we're getting a lot of parts that come together well and sort of look like him, he is missing some of the finer points. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. You've you've you hit all the nails in the head there with that. <laughs> it just I I really get irritated where people actually say they disliked what, to my mind, was a winning design. Incorporating the black onto Storm Shadow's costume just made so much sense to me. That, like, spotty, dappled effect was just beautiful. And people say they didn't like that, or they didn't think much of it at the time. Look, maybe it's an age difference thing. Yeah. Maybe we're talking about older fans who were very much out of G.I. Joe by that stage, so Storm Shadow to their mind was always the 84 version, which in my mind is the ultimate Storm Shadow. In retrospect, I can appreciate that. But I also, perhaps because of my the timing of when I came into G.I. Joe, I really, really appreciated that later Storm Shadow, and it pains me to hear people say that they didn't like it. But now that it's been updated, they see the merit to it. When, eh, it's not such a great update. What I find a little bizarre in that is that fans, guys on the forums and stuff, are going really ape about the, the green snake eyes and um, Tijin, I think it's Tijin Zoo. He came with a vehicle, uh, I think. That's stupid. Ninja cycles. Yeah, no, no, it's that other thing, that thing with the swing, swinging ball. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I mean, the reason it wasn't in my worst vehicles list is because I don't even register it, it as an actual physical thing that exists in our reality because, oh, my God, it's horrible. But people are excited. They're more excited about him. They're all like, oh, yeah, I didn't like that Storm Shadow. But they're all excited about, like, Captain Neon, the Neon Ninja vehicle driver, who's supposed, who, according to his file card, is like, you know, you know, like ninja, the ninja god's gift to ninja kind everywhere. <laughs> Maybe, I, I don't know, I just thought it, it struck me as a bit odd. Well, friends, it's a weird and wonderful hobby that we have, filled with strange people who seem to embrace strange things. But hey, everyone's got their niche, right? Totally. Alright, guys. Note, yeah, I think it's time to wrap it up. Cool. Um, oh, dude, Corporal Decoy wants to say something again. Well, Corporal Decoy, the stage is yours. Hi all, Corporal Decoy again. I'm sorry if my accent has changed, it's all part of the undercover work I like to do when it comes to drawing fire. Another huge implementation we put in the G.I. Joe Force is we are going to give every single one of them a massive rocket launcher. With the advent of bigger vehicles and brighter vehicles, we've decided that a rocket launcher with every single one of our troopers is going to work out just great. We've also thought that maybe a neon orange, neon blue, neon green, and even gold weapons will be used in effect. Thank you very much. This has been Corporal Decoy.
Dear listeners, if you want to get hold of the guys from G.I. Joburg, leave a comment on our Podbean page at www.gijoburg.podbean.com. We would love to hear from you. If there's anything you would like debated on a future show, let us know. We love doing what we do. Yo, Joe!